Okay, so there's a little different format this week. I am joined by my better half, Skylar Grant. We've just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Um, took a little trip with the family down to Laguna Beach, California. And here we are set up in the gymnasium of a Airbnb. It's pretty oddball, but that's kind of um, representative of our 25 plus years together. So I suppose it's just perfect. So for a little background for those who don't know us, which I assume is most of the people listening here, we've been together since 1988. Um, I've documented some of my epiphanies um, and chivalrous pursuits of Skyler through uh, my writings. And, um, and we've had a very particular approach to our relationship and commitment. In some ways, you might even think of it as a traditional approach. Yeah. Um, we were dating... I guess if you could call it, um, for seven years before we got married. So really, it's been over three decades of, of cohabitation. And, um, and we have really, I think we've found commitment, and I've written about this a number of times, but we have kind of dispelled this myth of commitment as being limitation. Um, and it's often associated with limitation and, and things that you have to give up. And, and our, I suppose our mutual pledge to each other uh, and unconditional love has allowed me to pursue a lot of very uncertain dreams and unlikely career paths and um, and take chances and risks with my life that I, I wouldn't have otherwise done knowing that in failure, and there have been many, um, that I always had that bedrock um, of comfort in failure um, held by our commitment. And that's been uh, very liberating. And I think in that way, we, we see commitment as... Um, very much the same way as freedom, or at least I do. Yeah. Can I pop in? Of course. It's, we're, we're on this together. We're on this journey together. Um, I guess I would qualify what you said, which I largely agree with, but I feel like it's not that commitment, long-term commitment has, has um, been without sacrifice or, or, limitation that we, you know, we're giving up all, we give up all kinds of things, I think, for a long-term commitment. But on balance, I think the net effect is more freedom. And our, you know, general happiness, the depth of our love, our, the solidity of um, the place that we have created together, the triangle, you know, the thing we have made, because I think every relationship is not just a sum of its parts, it's more than the sum of its parts, whether it's friendship or parenthood, you know, you make something new out of two or three or five. Um, but I would say our 
the the um, entity that we have invested in has engendered sacrifices and and things we've given up. But we have managed to make that really worth it. So I agree, though I I would say that I see our partnership, which is quite um, balanced, and we both give a lot to the thing, to the superstructure of it. We both in, do a lot of the the not very sexy work of making a family run, and the you know the toil of of um, of parenthood and all of that. But I would say that probably on balance, I do a little bit more of the infrastructure for the family, and so I there is I think a part of every mother who is really the, um, you know, the, the day-to-day homemaker in our case with a ton of support, but still more the, the bones of the, of the family body. Um, you know, I think every, every mother in that position has a fantasy alternate life where they're, you know, free of, free of children, free of, spouse where they really do live as, as an autonomous unit. Now, I wouldn't ever choose that. I'm very happy with the choices that I've made. But I think that, you know, this is pro- probably the, the thrust of one of our, our biggest um, disagreements is sometimes you have more freedom as a man than, than, than I have as a, as a mother and woman. But given that, um, that dynamic, which I think is, is endemic to motherhood and fatherhood on balance i feel very much that we have come to a place where where our partnership has has engendered largely support and freedom which is which is beautiful and has been a lot of hard work and has borne much fruit yeah i mean as much as we may fashion ourselves as a kind of class we actually have fulfilled a lot of the um kind of traditional roles in some ways of modern Western culture, and we'll talk specifically about sex uh, later in this podcast, because certainly we have pursued a highly long-term monogamous journey together, um, and and that has worked for us, but that is arguably not the way humans have evolved to be, and we can talk a little bit about that. Um, but I, I think that, you know, when you say that two different elements come together to form something new, um, you know, you could think about that kind of in very pure scientific terms of like hydrogen and oxygen um, coming to form a bond and to fill each other's outer electron shells and in a way it, it it modifies the traditional definition i think of how of love of how we think about love and when our electron shells are filled when we form this molecule of water it, in a way all of our needs become m- met and, you know, and I'm using, I'm playing out the scientific metaphor here. Um, but I, I think there is a different understanding of love that emerges 
when in the absence of need. And it is not love as purely an emotion. Um, and, and this, you know, gets into um, sort of psychological concepts around what, what emotions and thoughts and feelings are and how we identify with them. That emotions are, are sensations that visit us and then leave. Dissipate. And that we are just the subjects of perceiving that phenomena in a transitory fashion. That they come and go and jealousy comes and goes and fear comes and goes, etc. Very roomy-like um, understanding of how human beings experience emotions. But I think, and Muji, the meditation teacher, talks about this quite a bit, and I'm a big fan, as you know, um, is that in the absence of need, in the absence, um, in outside of ego, that love emerges not as much as an emotion, but it is an essence that springs forth out of wholeness where one is not the experiencer of that emotion, but one is actually the source of that emotion. And, um, and I think that that happens inside of a certain kind of alchemy when one's needs are completely met and fulfilled. And that's why I see the one of the great purposes of a relationship is that, is to unlock love as an essence and not as an emotion by being able to fill each other's needs and infill into deficiencies and parts of the ego that question itself. Um, certainly, like for me, and I won't monopolize the entire conversation, but I've thought about this a lot, which is, you know, I have a need for the approval of others. That is a weak spot. It's an Achilles heel for me. It keeps me tracked, trapped in my ego, is that I often identify through the eyes of other people, and I need that positive reinforcement of other people to feel a sense of wholeness and identity. But inside of my commitment with you, I don't need that anymore. So then I can place my ego aside or mm -hmm. just rise above it and witness it and more easily access this place of wholeness or what Muji might call emptiness, self-transcendence, Brahman, and become step into the place where I become more of the source of love and not the subject experiencing it. Anyways, that was a departure from where I thought we'd go. And let me just interject quickly that I, uh, that is, makes sense and it's quite beautiful. I would say that, that children of course are that thing. And it's, it's a mm. bit hackneyed that you don't really know love until you have children. But it, I think that is exactly what children are. When you love your child, there's no, especially when they're quite young, maybe not where our kids are now, but there's no quid pro quo when you're, when you have a baby, that love is pure. It's, and there, 
there are all kinds of needs on you, but you have no needs of them for so long. And to just give love and to fulfill needs in a, um, and to learn how profoundly satisfying that is, that that is one of the, that 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 is, and perhaps people who have a relationship to a god or goddess or some spiritual, you know, giving of themselves have that experience for me that's not been my path but i've certainly felt that as a mother that that the the deep well of pleasure to give love and to get it in return but in a in an absolutely unintellectual unpreconceived way is is one of the most beautiful things you can have and i think that's not what we get with our partners for for usually usually and certainly not for a long time and i would say that is one of the one of the really beautiful places you come to in a long-term committed partnership or even if it's short term but your your mutual feeling is that this is for this is for good as long as it's good but that there's, there's you're not holding back that there's like you know you look at your partner and you are excited to be on the path of seeing them become old all of that, that you like, I mean, I, I think it's amazing to see the journey with someone, both to watch them psychologically, intellectually, emotionally evolve, and then also physically evolve. Like, I don't think I will ever look at you and think that you're old. I'll just see you having a metamorphosis, which is so amazing and so <laughs> incredibly cool. An inverted beauty and the beast. <laughs> In this <laughs> Will we case. both become beasts? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, at least I think, in tandem. Yeah, I mean, I think what you say about children is astute and certainly gives you a common cause. Um, and relationships are full of, um, well, I think healthy and good and long-term relationships are often full of common causes. Transactionality. Um, Healthy transaction. Well, and also creative endeavors. And raising children can be very, very creative. Um, and, you know, it also changes the geometry of love. Um, and I wrote about this, and I saw that when you edited my recent article, you mentioned that I think you liked this part, so I'll bring it up. Um, is that, you know, typically love exists in a partnership in a very linear way between from partner to partner um, but when children become added to that particular mix it change that geometry changes and it becomes a much more multi-dimensional consecration of your children and that's what you share and um and, you know, I mean, I've often said there's two types of people in the world. There's, you know, people with children and, and people without. And it does, um, I mean, there is a certain psychological piece to it. Um, and this is wired into our evolutionary biology for sure. But that idea when you would, without hesitation, fall on a sword for another human being, like most people feel with their children, that completely uh, dissolves self-obsession and self-interest and all of these things that keep us in a state of ego, 
centric misery and distraction. Well, there's plenty of parents who are trapped in a vortex of ego misery and, and of course self obsession. But I of course there is your point is well are, taken. But, um, but I think you know having children can help, and like I said, I think it creates a a common cause, a com almost a, you know a project for a lifelong project. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about sex because this is going to get to be an awfully long podcast and I have yeah. to interview our friends, Aaron and DK. So, right. So, yeah. So we, like I mentioned, Skylar and I, we have a very committed monogamous relationship and, um, you know, this has been ongoing for, for some time and, uh, and it, and as, and it's worked for us. Um, but it, it, it's, but it's not the only path, um, to committed relationships. And I, I recently picked up, uh, Christopher Ryan's book, Sex at Dawn, um, where, which has become sort of the Bible for polyamory. Um, I'm not sure he would put it that way. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll kind of provide some of the cliff notes for it, but, I think, you know, there's a myth, there's a cultural myth that 50% of marriages end in divorce. I think that is actually not true. I think it's about 39% from what I've read more recently and that that rate is going down. But that is a significant four out of 10 marriages, um, you know, ending in divorce is, is not anything that a society should be bragging about. Um, so, you know, in, in this book, Sex at Dawn, um, you know, Christopher Ryan can unpacks some of our ancestral history and its relationship to sex. And, you know, we've, we've talked about it, um, a number of times, but essentially some 12,000 years ago, pre agricultural revolution, while we were existing kind of on the Serengeti as, as foragers and in hunter gatherer societies, Closer to what you would say would be our mammalian nature. Yeah. And, you know, um, and certainly you can map some of the sexual behaviors onto our closest and um, primate relatives, bonobos and chimpanzees. And, and that's what this book does. And they have a very active, promiscuous sex life, which was also documented amongst Homo sapiens pre agricultural revolution which the notions, um, and there were some societies that had monogamy as a central tenet, but largely um, it was very, very casual sex, and the notion of love and sex were not as conflated as they are today. And of course, this was also prior to the ascendancy of Abrahamic religions, which created all sorts of taboos, and not just taboos, but um, but punishments, um, mortal punishments, uh, around adultery. And I, I believe even it's written in the Bible that if you're not a virgin, uh, the night before your wedding, you can be stoned to death. So, and not in the good way. Yeah. <laughs> not in the way that, um, you don't need to go to the dispensary for that particular kind of stoning. Um, but, um, but I've actually even read, and I think this was documented in Yuval Harari's book, Sapiens, um, where in 
some societies, I believe this was the Aceh tribe, that that there was not a scientific understanding that a sperm, one particular sperm from a particular distinct male, impregnated a woman. So a woman, if she was seeking to birth this, the ubermensch progeny, would source the sperm from a whole variety of members of the tribe some for different traits. So she would have sex with one for... You know, Strength and virility, like, and one for yeah. intelligence, and one for because they're a good snuggler. It's not yeah. Uh, somehow in <laughs> the, the snuggle trait, I managed to bottle embody all, all of those. those things. Yeah. So you know, we, of course, that's <laughs> one of the reasons why monogamy has worked. Your mother did a really good job sourcing for many males. Clearly, <laughs> that is highly untrue. <laughs> um, if you knew my mother, but so there was a pattern of sexual freedom of promiscuity that happened and then you know one of the primary theories is the agricultural revolution came along um, and then man started to develop private property um, and grow mostly grains and what we think of as sort of cash crops now um, on private property and develop surplus and develop riches that could be inherited and in order to be able to pass down that wealth through primogenitorism which is essentially passing down that wealth to the oldest son i believe that that's what that means right you had to be able to prove you your parenthood to, right you actually had to know that that was your son mm-hmm. and um and so monogamy began to um become sort of the dominant lifestyle and then of course you know, later, um, as Judaism and Christianity took hold, it became codified. Codified, and and, right. and then, you know, in modern life, there's a million different, you know, logistical reasons and, you know, tax benefits and all the other things that are folded into having sort of that nuclear family of, you know, being married and having kids and etc. Right. That's a financial codification of the. Judeo-Christian rationale for patriarchy. Really, I mean, at the at the at the core of it, that's what that's where it sits. A lot of this science, is speculative, and different biologists and evolutionary biologists and sociologists have varying views on this. But it it does seem that the that there's a there's consensus around the fact that as an animal, we would be considered social monogamous so or some you might even call it like a serial monogamous where uh, there's a certain number of mammals that are truly monogamous like a goose apparently if a goose mates for life and if mm. the goose's spouse their partner dies that a goose never mates again i mean they are really they're in it till not, not even till death do us part they are in it for the rest of of their life mm. and then there's a few other, I mean, I think wolves and beavers or bats, but it's only like three to five percent of the five thousand or so mammals that are actually genetically or biologically monogamous. But it seems as if even in our, you know, pre-agricultural revolution, nature tended to make partnerships 
for the raising of children, and mm-hmm. they call that social monogamy. So you would, and that doesn't even mean you would, you might have sex with other partners, but that we do actually pair up because it has been beneficial through history to have a have a guy around, even though we, you know, have had grandmothers and mothers, and that's also part of our social structure. But we we do pair. Yeah, although there ha- there was notions in forger societies of shared fatherhood that seemed to be actually quite beneficial for the tribe, where, uh, you know, essentially as a man, you were fathering the whole flock, um, and that created a certain kind of social, social cohesion and, right. and um, shared responsibilities and kept tribes together. Um, but they just don't yeah. really 100% know. I mean, a yeah, lot of this sure. is speculative about whether there was but mostly they think that there is pairing like there are quite a few actual bird species as well where the you know the father's around when it's useful and then they can peace out yeah and the mother too because they're they're and their infants don't have the kind of protracted in like fourth trimester that ours do yeah i think the other point in the sex at dawn book that i found interesting and um and maybe even surprising is that we are highly sexualized mammals, just our genitalia, our, our physiology. Um, and, that, and women too. And women too. And right. there's a whole section around um, dispelling the notion that women have a lower sex drive. And there's experiments, you know, where, you know, where they put women and men both watching pornography and they measure the amount of blood flow to the genitalia and stuff like that. And, and in many cases, women actually are more aroused than men. But aside from those experiments... That's the 25-year anniversary scientific <laughs> experiment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll try that tonight. We'll re- report back on the podcast next week. Um, but just the fact that we have very... Men have very, very large genitalia and that our testicles are on the outside, which I suppose, which I, which I understand maintains sperm at the right temperature. Um, and that our sperm, uh, that when we ejaculate, we release a chemical first that protects our own sperm. So it's not, um, destroyed, um, or compromised by another man's sperm. And in many cases, but doesn't it also have have enzy- enzymatic properties that also fight off that actually go war with other sperm? I believe that's true. Although and this some is swim getting faster than others. Yeah, this is getting a little bit beyond my pay grade. And of course, <laughs> as everyone knows, I've absolutely no experience with it. But um, <laughs> but that and that also that women, it takes longer in some cases for women to orgasm which has been postulated that that idea encourages or allows for women to have sex with multiple partners at the same time and some of the, or, or not at the for same longer. time. Well, for potentially, longer but for con- longer. Consecutively. Right. And that there is also the fact that w- women can be very vocal during sex was also seen as a call to attract other mates um so and I don't know. and and in other in do bonobos also make lots of noise I believe, female female yeah, bonobos i, I think so, that's yeah. right too so, anyway let's anyway um, so okay so uh, around this topic because 
as Skyler and I have invested uh, 32 years of our lives in this uh, experiment in commitment and monogamy, we thought it would be interesting to um, interview um, a couple that we've known for quite a long time. 12 years or so, 10 years anyway. Yeah, Dave and Aaron Kennedy, um, because they've been committed. They've been in a long-term committed relationship, but they have an absolutely polar opposite, or not polar opposite, but very, very different approach to sex and um, entertaining multiple partners. So Skylar will be off to interview uh, I'm going to be quote-unquote interviewing them mm. while <laughs> Jeff goes yeah. and takes care of the kids. Yeah, well, I'll set up the <laughs> camcorder. Camcorder, yeah. yeah. You just definitely yeah, dated, dated yourself. dated myself there. <laughs> and then we'll report back and see kind of how that interview goes and if, um, if we've learned anything and if we're off to a, sw- a swingers swing club. Yeah. Okay. The trapeze later. <laughs> so for now. So my parents were definitely um, non-traditional in their in their uh, relationship paradigm, and it was very open. It, as children, we kind of always knew that it was pretty loose on the monogamy front, and um, it wasn't. Um, I, can't, I can't even actually really remember the age that I became really aware that my parents' setup was pretty different than most of my friends. And I think I was probably like in fourth or fifth grade when it really kind of got it. And there was definitely some relationships that I was aware of that were really pretty funky and made me really uncomfortable as a kid. But overall, you know, it just was what it was. And it didn't really particularly bother me. But as my brother and I got older, there was a linchpin triangle in my parents' relationship Mm. that was very disruptive and became like, you know, years, really, maybe even a decade of really intense heartache and, you know, sticky and difficult and, you know, so hard to watch as, as a kid, heartbreaking, really. And, um, and so that's certainly colored, you know, my experience, my lived experience of, of being more open to alternative ways of, of running a relationship. Um, but I also saw, you know, the positive sides of it. My parents' relationship was never, it was never dead. You know, they could, you never say there was always vital and it, and it still is. I mean, they are living testament to the fact that you can go through some really rocky, rocky times and they're so rock solid and so happy and they love each other now and all the sex, all of it's done. You know, they're in their late 70s and 80. My dad's just turned 80. But they, you know, every Friday they have love day and they spend all Friday together doing fun stuff together. And I'm sure back in the day, Love Day, you know, involved a lot of things I don't want to think about because whoever wants to think about their parents and sex is the most, like, unappealing thing possible. But, you know, and now it's just then, you know, they give each other a massage and now they hang out. 
So um, anyway, in the, the long and the short of it is that uh, I was certainly not consciously scarred by that, but I was a virgin till I was 19, I think 20. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Jeff's really been my only partner. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a few little, you know, college, you know, things that whatever, saucy saucy college explorations, but nothing, nothing substantial. I've never really, I've never had another lover. And I assume Jeff hasn't, as far as I know, you know, you never know what really what goes on with your partners. But from my understanding, we've been monogamous now for 35 years. Um, and overall are really happy with our life choice and think that it's given us um, a lot, a lot of freedom, which is a lot of what I want to talk about from your perspective, because I think both of us, all, all of us really share that, like looking for what our relationship structures, um, provide in the space of vitality and freedom in all kinds of ways, um, emotional, sexual, otherwise. So that's my... That's my story, and so I'd love to get yours. All right. Well, um, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, as far as my my background and my history, um, I actually grew up in a really conservative household uh, where we weren't allowed to say breast or vagina, penis. It was chest, bottom, private parts. My mother was very squirmish about just even human anatomy and how our bodies work. Um, and so it was kind of always this uncomfortable, like un- discomfort in the house around um, anatomy and sexuality and just um, all of that. And so we didn't really talk about it much, but I think from a really early age, um, I discovered that I was naturally sexual. I think most children, you know, go through this experimental phase. And I remember being caught once by my mother when I was maybe three years old with my brother and we weren't doing anything too major, but we were super shamed for it. And, um, and I remember how heavy that felt on my heart and how weird and kind of yucky it felt just energetically and kind of carried that with me a lot of my childhood. And as I started to develop into a a teenager, um, I was experimenting a lot just with my own self-pleasure and realizing this, this was really fun. And, um, and that it, there was nothing wrong with it, but it was still like, you definitely hide that in the household. You don't want to get caught because I still carried that like, oh my gosh, this shame around it. Um, and then when I started to get a little bit older, I um, I had sex actually quite young at 14 with a, just a, a friend. And it was really casual. Um, for me, there wasn't a whole lot of um, energetics, like, uh, is it stigma behind it? Uh, and it, it wasn't necessarily the best experience. Like it wasn't like, wow, that was amazing. That felt great. But it was sort of like, oh yeah, I got that done. Um, and out of most of my peers, my gal peers, um, I was certainly the first to start experimenting. And I had a lot of guy friends that I just hung out with and also experimented with. It was just sort of like, matter of fact, oh, this is what we should do. And, um, and I slowly started to develop my sexuality that way. And then eventually I started to get more of a sense of what I really liked and what I didn't like. Um, and I started to learn how to communicate it a little bit better. Um, so by the time I was 16, 
uh, I had actually fallen in love with my first boyfriend and, um, and we had a wonderful, like a wonderful relationship. We communicated well. We, um, we had wonderful sex actually. Um, and that was a real heart opening experience because coming from my family where that wasn't talked about and there were many divorces and sort of husbands and wives coming in and out, um, on both my parents' sides, um, having a stable relationship around in my life was really important. And it came actually quite naturally with such a, um, unorganized background, um, and I actually, I met Dave when I was quite young at 20 um, and actually sort of uh, back up a little bit. I, the, the first boyfriend only lasted about a year and a half, which seemed like forever at 16. Um, total heartbreak at the end. And it was absolutely devastating for me. So after that, I just started going back to my old ways of hanging out with my guy friends and um, having a lot of sex. And, um, Friends with benefits. Yes, yeah, <laughs> and it, and I it was really positive, and I but I was still searching for something more, some deeper connection. I actually wanted to get married really young and have children in my twenties, mm-hmm. um, probably because that's you know what my mother did and my grandmother did, and I valued the the youthfulness in that, um, and that's was sort of my mission. So many of my peers, as you can imagine, at age twenty weren't ready for that kind of commitment. And, um, when I met Dave, I was 20 years old and, um, kind of searching for maybe the next one, like somebody who would be more serious and who could meet me and in those places. And, um, and, uh, that's a, it's a long story into that, but that, that's the beginning of, of our relationship. Um, and maybe do you want to take it from here? Sure. Well, I first want to say, um, having known you and Jeff for quite a while now, um, at least, well, recent, well over a decade, that um, I can verify your joy and happiness and that the authenticity of who you guys are together shines, and both individually and together. Um, and I've known you guys, uh, it's, it's lovely. I think I have equal relationships with both of you um, in terms of being able to drop in and just connect. Um, and what it made me think of when you were saying it is I think one of the sexiest things in a dynamic is being true to yourself. You know, I don't think this, you know, I, when people ask about our relating, like, so I, I, I was thinking about or feeling to what you were saying and I was realizing you guys are so honest with like you're living a very i don't feel like there's that that you're struggling with a should any shoulds you know i'm not getting should upon you know in life a lot you know (laughs) that that, you know you're being yourselves and and there's a rich um uh ownership of who you are and an appreciation for that and and then there's also this really adventurous curiosity and willingness to explore other ideas and listen to them and feel to them. And, and it's not like you're, there's a block that says, this isn't what we, we can't do that. It's more like, Hey, we're, we're pretty settled. Maybe so, maybe not. It's interesting. And, but, but it's not, I don't feel a tension. Yeah. I would say that's very well read at the same time. I'm, I'm always as just in general, not just about sexuality and structures of marriage and relationships but I'm always I always feel like 
the pull of the life not lived, the choices that you, you can't have it both ways. I mean, you can play around in, in the gray area of things, but you, you know, you can't be both monogamous and non-monogamous at the same time. You could have periods of the two, you could interplay and assume you guys have been back and forth. But as far as the, the larger structure of a marriage, you know, you generally are choosing one or the other. And, and for me, beyond this, I mean, I'm always, there's a part of me that always craves the thing that I'm not living, not in an angsty way, but more in a curiosity way. Mm -hmm. I just like, you know, I hope reincarnation is real. So I get to do it all again, a whole different way. And it's not about regrets for the choices that I'm making this, this round, but there is a little bit of the also. Yeah. So so that led me to to sort of when we met, I had just been coming out of a, a rather longer uh, relationship that I thought might um, still was sort of lingering as a in the in the background. We were in separation, uh, and uh, and it, it was I was I was not looking for anything at the time, and uh, I was frequenting a restaurant um, uh, quite often that a friend of mine uh, was was running, and they had a great wine selection, and I was I had. Uh, was was exploring, learning, developing a palate. So I was in there quite a bit, and apparently um, she had uh, taken a, 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 a liking to me. I didn't even see her, if you will, you know, um, in that the the age disparity just wasn't. I wasn't looking for something, and I think the the in the not looking for it. Um, it allowed us to meet each other uh, without agenda, and and the way in which we went about our relating was really um, honoring and respecting the the uniqueness of each other, and uh, it became quite obvious that there was a a, a very mature sexual positivity uh, in Aaron, and because of our age disparity, my one as it became clearer and clearer that we were uh, compatible and having something that was really healthy. And my one thing in the back of my mind was like, this, this, this woman's 20 years old. I mean, and, and you were what age? 44. 44 at the time. And, and the idea that she's going to take the vast majority of her life and remain in that monogamy for me was it, it, it just, I, I sensed that it wasn't authentic. I wasn't looking to try to change that, but it was the one thing in the back of my mind that that potentially made our relationship where everything else was fitting unsustainable. And so a little while into our relating, we ended up uh, finding ourselves in a, a spontaneous moment with an older couple, uh, not a cliche attractive couple in, in any way. Shape. I'd had a relationship with them um, as a, um, a somatic educator and a mentor for, you know, 20 something years prior to that. And it just came in a moment. It was like, Hey, we're going to drop in. Would you guys like to stay with us? And we didn't know exactly what was going to happen that night, but it was kind of, we checked in with each other and like, are you good with this? And then Aaron was like, actually, yeah, I am good with this. And had you had any conversation around this issue before? No, no. zero, no. no processing, no consideration. You no. hadn't brought up your qualms about no. her age and how that related to monogamy yeah, but or relationship. Not, not, not in regards to sexuality specifically. Uh -huh. I mean, he had heard a few stories about some of my relationships with, you know, one of my dear male friends 
and um and how we were hanging out in a different country and we had another male friend and we were buddies and and we were hooking up and kind of traveling around and having fun and just living the f- the free life and i i think he'd heard a couple of stories like that and got a sense for that i was a little bit more expressive and um Open. Open, yeah. Yeah. I grew up in the 60s and and, uh, early 70s as an adolescent. And uh, in South Florida, and being in a political family, um, swinging was very, very prevalent. Uh, I was at a very young age. I was introduced to sexuality through my stepfather having his secretary uh, deflower me uh, at a very young age. (laughs) How old, Dave? (laughs) I was was pretty young. (laughs) And... uh, and um you know and it was a it was a classic little rites of passage for a young young boy but it was you know definitely not traditional right um and so uh and you know i had i had the key you know a private key to his closet with you know thousands of polaroids as a kid you know and you know and it for whatever reason it didn't distort and freak me out it just was just kind of like oh wow there's there's this this there's a world of possibility in that. And how did that um, then manifest in all the relationships you had subsequent to Aaron? Were you were you largely mon- monogamous, yeah. serial monogamous? Did you ever had open relationships before Aaron? I, I, I had have I had did have a, a relationship with a sexual radical, sexually positive. So not only sexually positive way, but an incredibly. In, um, uh, emotionally intelligent way and a communicative way. And, you know, it's where I learned, for example, from the outside looking in a, a, a submissive role in an S&M dynamic, it appears that somebody is putting something upon the other person, but actually the submissive has all of the power in the dynamic because they give permission for the play to exist, mm-hmm. right? If it's consensual, they're the ones that says how far how much you, you can go. So all the power is actually in the in in where you think it's not it's inverted it's inverted right so going back to that evening you know which i checked in you know are you good with this and everyone was like actually yeah i am good with this and i was like you know are you good with it i'm like yeah and it was a very liberated night uh of play and 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 uh and we were driving home the next morning and there wasn't a lot of processing for us. Yeah, it was a really beautiful thing to witness your partner, you know, my partner with another person and um, and just see how different the energetic exchange could be. Um, someone else with his energy was giving him something that I couldn't because we're different humans. And in some way, it, it made me feel stronger in, in my relationship to know that we're that solid with each other and there's that much trust um, to be able to have the space to feel that and um, and to go fully into it. Um, it, it felt incredibly liberating. Um, and we also didn't look for that. It just sort of came upon us. Even in the, the 13 years we've been together, um, we've never actually looked for relationships outside of ours. All of them have come to us somehow, like in a moment or you know, a friend that we've had for years, all of a sudden, like something just shifts and it sort of presents itself in a different way. And we decide to take that route. And then, um, and then that sort of just transitions or fades and we're still really good friends. Um, we have an eight year old daughter. So certainly while we were trying to get pregnant and we had, um, a a young child and baby, we were really plugged in and, and honed into our own little insular family. And, 
and happy about it just with where we were at. And there was never a feeling of FOMO anywhere else. Right. Um, Which is so so amazing that those things do align too, because one of the classic dysfunctions in marriages come around children. Mm. And when, I mean, it's just a trope really mm-hmm. you you have a kid and then the the mother is in that bubble there's so much intimacy there mostly usually for new mothers yeah. and the dudes like on the side feeling a little left out and whatever horny and the mom's like nah you know i mean it's a happens all the time and it's just i mean it's a testament to how actually deeply functional you guys were that it that you rode that out really t- in tandem, which is very cool. Thank you. Actually, as you mentioned that, it it sort of brought up um, the idea of the different stages while our daughter was a baby. And yeah, there was there was weeks, sometimes even a month at a time, we wouldn't have sex. Be so tired. I'd be so high with all the oxytocin flowing, nursing me like I'm so satisfied and I'm passed out and tired. And um, all the other, all the other married couples out there are like, one month was your driest, driest spell. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Screw you! It goes, it goes in waves. I mean, certainly there's seasons to everything, but um, <laughs> just the sort of where we were at. We also there's a there's a strength in knowing that that was okay too, because also we knew that we were so solid. We, we trusted each other, and we trusted our our foundation or our mission in life. I don't know how you put it. It, There was a sense of settled in it. Like I'm in it for the long run. And because that trust is so strong and because I feel um, like settling in that, I don't, I don't feel that itch. Is there something wrong? Are we still attracted to each other? Right. It, there was an anxiety around yeah. the, the future around it. Well, let's, let's, um let's wind back a little bit. And I'd love to hear I mean, I know you have just said that it all kind of unfolded very organically and there wasn't a whole lot of processing, and, but there must have been some conversation around how you're going to navigate this. It's funny because so, that, that was kind of where I was going to go next. And when we started to open ourselves up to those kind, to more sort of complex relating or play parties or dynamics, um, there was a couple of things that we agreements if you will but not a lot you know we we happen to live just to give a little context we happen to live in san diego or encinitas north county san diego and many of our uh, of our community and friends are probably some of the most prominent players in the poly community in the in the world right now san diego county has some of the is really where some of the language is being developed at its hmm. highest level. Um, you know, there was times when San Francisco had that and Berlin mm-hmm. had it in New York, but currently for the last decade or so, and many of those people are very dear to us and very close. And, and we have, uh, we've never identified uh, as anything or uh, necessarily a part of that community. And yet m- most of them have been lovers in one way or another, or we've had scenes with them. Um, so we're very close to that community. And there's a language that has been developed that is is something that I would say that your parents were pioneers of, of some of those kinds of behavioral changes coming out of a really calcitrant, sure. you know, 1950s, 50s dogma. And, you know, yeah. dogma and, and, and we're, we're, we're going into that, you know, with a machete and, and no compass. And now they're starting to be, you know, for example, Aaron used a, a, a very elegant word, you know, that, that, that the poly community uses, which is, you know, like you transition 
in and out of these things. And so you start to get more and more elegant at, at, um, at non-conference, you know, at, at, uh, 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 being able to to transition, you know, you work in the in the sort of in in the in between spaces mm -hmm. and learning how to communicate in those places so that it's not such a right angle. Uh, and I think that's been very helpful to be around. Um, but one of our agreements was that if we found ourselves in a dynamic, no matter how uh, excited we might find ourselves or intrigued by the possibility of a chemistry dump that's happening with somebody if the other wasn't feeling comfortable for any reason then we just sort of like we didn't have a safe word per se but it was like hey you put your hand up and it's like we're out of here mm -hmm. and that was the covenant you know our covenant is still to each know, other to each other you know it's not i don't need to fill something i we spend an inordinate amount of time together we enjoy each other's company this is just adding and sharing more joy, if you will, or more excitement or more edge, you know, in, in certain situations. I found that if there was something I could provide her, whether it was a state of consciousness, whether it was an object or an experience or that she allowed it, she received it. She, she allowed it to make her as happy as she thought it would. And she coveted it. She took care of it. And, and it satisfied or it fulfilled her. She didn't, it wasn't off to the next thing. It was the first relationship I had, had ever really been in where I, I wasn't filling a black hole. I wasn't hmm. filling a void. I wasn't the thing needed to keep shoveling mm -hmm. coal into the motor. And it was the closest thing that I had ever come to the state that my grandmother had sort of given me, which is like, if you can't be happy with what you have, you'll, you'll never be happy. You, it doesn't mean you can't want for things. It doesn't mean you can't. But if you can't let the nowness of the suchness of what is be, make fulfill you, you'll never get it. Right. You can't, you can't get ever there, fill a black hole. You can't hole. get there from here. <laughs> and that's when I realized, oh, wow, this, this soul was something I couldn't because it, it, I, I could, I felt that I could, it wasn't, yes, I love dearly, Aaron, but what I really began to realize was how much I, I appreciated who I was becoming in the context of being with, with in this mm -hmm. dynamic, in this relationship. I was enjoying and loving who I was becoming. And I think it was this, we, mm -hmm. that's where we were really, it just kept going like up and up or, or, you know, it just kept growing, elevating, elevating. Yeah. And, um, and so there was, you know, that idea that, that, if one of us wasn't feeling it in that particular moment, it didn't matter how good it was, you honor that. And did it ever feel like, were either of you ever like, well, no, I don't want to be told no. Or was it easy? Was that an e when you were stopped? <laughs> I wish I had a camera right now for the looks that are being exchanged. <laughs> well, that, what he was sort of describing, that was where some of our beginning agreements. Um, for many years, we had a really context-related um, sexual relationship with others. It was at a play party. It was somewhere else. And within, it was together. And it uh -huh. was together. And and still most of our relating with other people is together. Um, we for many years said we're not interested in, in dating other people outside of this context because it seems like a lot of work. Mm -hmm. um, people's emotions, people's processes. It, I didn't have time for it. I mean, we have just enough time to really be with each other and live our lives and do all the things we do in this world. So um, we were not into that for so many years. And somehow we, um, 
I, I ended up falling for this person who's a close friend um, in our lives. And it was a real hard crush. And it was the first time I had kind of approached him. I was like, hey, can I see this person? But this person isn't like really interested in being with us per se. He just, you know, we just kind of want to be together on the side. And Dave was like, hell no. <laughs> hell no. And for, and for lots of reasons, it wasn't just because the idea of me being with somebody on the side, but it was for reasons about like this, this, this friend, person, this person, right. and you know, there were personal things. And, and I, I did deeply understand them and I respected them. Um, and I understood why, but still when like, for some reason that chemistry charge had like fired up yeah. and I couldn't turn it off. You know, like when you crush on someone hard, you're like everything. It's like you're constantly thinking about them and your body feels tingly. And I mean, it was classic. And were and you jealous? Like in your gut, the bad, the, sh the, what, the shit we all know, like the gut twisting jealousy. Was it there? Be honest, Dave. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to endeavor to be. And, and I'm sure there was um, uh, hues and, and shades of that. Um and and it was and it's very difficult in the beginning of of those kinds of chemistry dumps of of the the know of the, around that whether I was projecting uh, a potential challenge or behavioral or lack of communication integrity that that was covering up or sitting on top of that but that is the beauty of this if you want to call it a practice, which we don't, but that is the beauty of this particular fuel. And I, and I, and I don't advocate for it. I don't recommend it. I don't, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, it's just what, who we are. Right. But there's nothing in my experience of, of now 57 years on the planet that cuts to the moment, to the bone faster than, than what comes from this level of intimacy. There's this cycle probably three times. And now it's pretty predictable. I'm like, and Dave even jokes, oh, spring is here. Oftentimes it comes. <laughs> it's kitten season. <laughs> and, um, and true. I wasn't, it, now I just, I really don't become as identified with the state. Before it was like, like anything that's new, right? You're so charged. Now I can look at myself and be like, oh, it's that Here again. I go again. And I can see it more objectively and, um, and kind of know that there's this like this cycle that it goes through and be like, oh, cool. And it charges our relationship actually. Oh, yeah. So much of our um, attraction to one another and liking each other and our, and our own sexuality just sort of like revamps mm -hmm. um, when we um, have different energies kind of come in and out of our lives. And, and that's kind of, that's really cool because we've had dry spells, not only around having a child, but we've also had those without Bex too. And um, sometimes you think, gosh, am I ever going to get that, that excitement back with my partner? Like, did it just go away? Are we just getting older? What, what's going on? And then to be, you know, reignited in a way and you're like, wow, this is better than it's ever been before mm -hmm. after this many years. Wow. Like we both just like look at each other and like high five. High, like we have high five several times during sex. We're winning. Like you guys are, you are a very good art living argument for, for, for the, this path. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a couple, um, questions, um, that are lingering that have come up as you're talking. And, um, the, the first one, and we've really talked about this, but I want to uh, just plummet a bit more. 
is the structure around like what you can and can't do, like the okays and the not okays. Mm -hmm. So to be, just to be clear, I believe that you also have had other relationships, not with, not with this guy who we just talked about, but you have had lovers outside of your no, no, no. So it's no. always been together. Together, except we have now long withstanding lovers. Either they are, you know, a couple or a singular person, and we've been with them before together. And there have been, you know, situations where Dave's out of town or um, whatever. One of us just can't be there. Um, I've even been out of town too, or just other places, and it wasn't like planned. Oh, so and so is out of town. Let's party, but. It just kind of happens. Um, and that's fine. And that's totally all... fine. Yeah, we're all like... And, there's... It, and, it, and it, it, it is fine, and it, it doesn't have to be fine. Right, yeah. if it's not fine, You know, if for whatever reason you're you feeling no. particularly, yeah. you know... Vulnerable. Uh, and... Vulnerable in that particular moment, and we check in. There was a time when I think for a, a long, you know, the say, the pick pick a number in the, in the 11 years that we've been sort of open in our dynamic, maybe almost 12, uh, maybe say seven or eight of those years, you know, it, it was, it, we did have a, uh, a standing agreement that we would check in with each other. Mm -hmm. And I think we've gotten to a place in the last couple of years where in we're capable of making those decisions on our own. Mm -hmm. We're not, you know, we've, we've sort of, we've, we've galvanized that trust to a level that, you know, it's, it's, it can be post and mm -hmm. say, Hey, you know, like I, I hooked up with this person and it was, it was, you know, it was spontaneous. It was amazing. And I, I, you know, I just want to let you know, you know, and, and, and oftentimes it's like, well, tell me more about it, you know? And, and, you know, it's, it, it's not, it's not a threatening place because we, we've grown to a place where we, we, we really do under, we do feel that we're not taking advantage of that. We're not, I mean, one of the, one of the pieces before we even started this, we've, we've never had any shadows. We don't compartmentalize with each other. We're not, I don't keep a part of me that's, it's just from, that I'm guarding just in case. It's like, no, it's all here. It, it's a where, and I think in, in once we really established that that was for each other, that that was the, the case, then the natural next obvious step was to be okay with making decisions on our own. And strangely enough, actually, the connections that I've been able to, um, have during our relationship and in this dynamic with others, it's really powerful for them as well because I'm able to connect in a way that's coming from a really solid place with where we're happy being where I'm at. And I think most of our partners and lovers have gotten a sense for that because they get a lot out of it too. Like I'm not looking to go somewhere. They don't need to provide me with a life other than this moment and or whatever we have. And do you feel like the people that you guys have touched in sh brief, fleeting or more substantial ways, ha has it colored the way that they've gone forward and conducted their own? I, I, think, it, I, think, there's no, I think there's no way that it couldn't uh, and vice versa. I mean, I think that's the beauty of, again, the power of sharing intimacy it's so unique uh, to, to open, to give that much, to open that much and to be that present with somebody is naturally going to, um, is, is, is going to inform the rest of somebody's relating. We, 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 I think there's, um, uh, I think Aaron 
shared something that was that is a a, a pillar of maybe something that I wouldn't say necessarily unique to us, but it is a pillar of that would be a descriptor of us is is that there is a safety I think that's naturally comes with with our dynamic that way um, because we we are we're not coming if if we're in that dynamic of sharing it's coming from a solid stable place in ourselves mm-hmm. versus oh i'm going to reach out now i need that because i'm not i'm not getting it here and i need it there well that's a recipe for in disaster. my world disaster yeah, absolutely. and that's sort of that wasn't the exact dynamic of what i sensed in that first piece but mm-hmm. something of that ilk mm-hmm. was like this isn't coming from a stable place so one of the things for a long time it was like you know, you kind of almost, you know, it, it, you start to realize that, you know, when you when you get involved with other couples, you know, you want to kind of understand their dynamic a little mm-hmm. bit prior because there's, you know, and, and there's a curiosity sometimes in this thing. But if, if they're hiding right from each other, it can get very interesting. Bad, and we've had, yeah. And yeah, we've had that. We've had yeah. that. Yeah. You we've know, had, so we've yeah. learned, oh, okay, as much as that's a hot and sexy environment, sometimes that is a, uh, it, its heat is being provided from a, a kind of fuel that's maybe illicit, illicit yeah. mm-hmm. you know, if you will, or whatever. Right. right? It's not mm-hmm. a fuel that's conscious and and is and can be. And when it is that, it, then then you're really starting to play with something that has true permission. Then you really get a chance to feel what I, I mean. I, I the power of what sexuality has. I, I don't really necessarily want to use the word healing, but it has the power to 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 really transform somebody's, you know, literally their ohas, their juiciness, their their, you know, their their well, spe- energy energy in, in one of the most pure forms that we can access readily. I yeah. mean, it is just simply energy exchange and whatever we want to do with that. Pow- negative, yeah. positive, powerful, destructive, all of it is yeah. is raw. Yeah, and so I think. Yeah. Aaron's proclivity to be a, a natural born Dakini became apparent to me. And, and I do want to share one particular moment that um, I think is relevant to this conversation, which was the very first time I we were in a play party dynamic where I was witnessing her in her full power. Um, and that was being taken by three men simultaneously with me not very far away. Aaron's got the cutest smile on her face. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it, I'll tell you, you know, it was different than jealousy. Like I was caught on the exhale. I was like, oh my God, this is, when I, you know, this is, this is blowing my head off. And there was a moment where she made eye contact with me in the midst of it and transferred. All I received was like, I didn't know that much love existed in the world. I didn't know that I could be that like every version of love prior to that, that I had been involved in had a limit had a governor on it, had a limit on it in some way that I realized the look hit me to, and and in the look, the nonverbal communication was like, this carnal thing that's happening is unfriggin' believable. And thank you for letting me have it. (laughs) And, And it couldn't happen without us. Like I couldn't, this, this wouldn't be the same thing without having to have the most important, the most important thing, which is the stability to have family, to have trust, to have life for me to be able to take that risk, to let this happen so fully takes me being that solid over here. Cause if I was just doing that, it'd be flimsy. 
It, right. it wouldn't have the depth of like, hey, I can be myself, but a big part of myself is also the stable piece over here. So if I have to give this away to have that, I will. But the fact that I could have this and have this, and I didn't know that that love could exist. You know, I, I had no idea that I, it just blew. It was like literally if, 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 you know, thousands of years of carrying around some kind of shit just was like gone in one moment, never really had to revisit it. It was just like, okay. And do you think that that's because all of us carry so much self-loathing? Yeah. I want to set Erin up to answer that question because I have no idea how she's going to answer it. Um, and I do want to say that yes. And for me, I realized a handful of these moments that have come in these dynamics, really the sexual part of what happens in those moments, I now recognize they're wonderful. They're incredibly exciting, but they're not the thing. The thing is the, the, the off, the, the, the off gassing and the, and the space in between where the dialogue between us, it's, it's catalyst for rich conversation and rich communication. And it, it has, it has mined, uh, a authentic dredging up of like, where is that deep stuff? You know, and now it even has taken, you know, forms in, in, you know, exploring kink. And exploring, you know, alternative, like, you know, in interesting ways of like, oh, there's there's a real charge in there of a childhood fantasy that like, hey, that can now after 11, 12 years of this space, cannot we can we we can actually let that have a life to let it play itself out. Maybe maybe let it exist or feed it or not feed it. But we can we, we have enough room now to do that. And um, I think we carry um a lot of cultural baggage. Sure. That self-loathing is it finds a way to be justified and by so many things in culture. And some of these breakthroughs for me, at least personally in, in these dynamics, the rate of speed at which that sort of like, oh, wow, I could slough off that layer. I could slough off that and layer. And those layers are beyond the sexual. It's all kinds of other stuff. Which leads to yeah. the point you were making in the very intro, which is like this, this has its foundation in like your, like your success, you know, your, your, your fluidity and communication and relating. Beyond just the self-loathing, I mean, I feel like it, as the partner who is going with another person, I've also felt in the past sort of a discomfort in, am I, am I going to make my partner uncomfortable? Even though I would want to go into something, there's that feeling of, um, <laughs> there's that feeling of uncertainty, like where you're sort of second guessing yourself. And although I don't feel it that much, I've felt it before. And I'm sure that a lot of people go through that process and, it really kind of takes both people to be on on the same page. Um, thankfully, I've I've I have been jealous before in my life, but like three times, three times that I could remember feeling that visceral jealousy, um, and they were really spread out. And so, um, and was it ever with Dave in this con? Two times like, with Dave. Yeah, uh -huh. once when I was like eight months pregnant, 
and alone and had to go to work in the morning and whatever. He was out one night in San Francisco with a group of friends and this girl I knew had a crush on him. And at that point we weren't seeing people like separately and nothing happened, but I didn't hear back from him in the morning. And I actually, it was one night I didn't get any sleep. <laughs> and, uh, and that feeling of angst and like knowing that, yeah, everything's good, but I could actually really feel what jealousy felt like. Um, and it hurts. It's yeah, it's very alone. Feeling. It's an awful feeling. Um, it sure. really is. Yeah. So I do have empathy for people who feel that. However, um, it's not a state that I'm really um, familiar with in general. I, I do have some friends that do struggle with jealousy or uncertainty or that self-loathing or their inability to... Um, give their partner that or receive it themselves who are in the in the poly community or just in mm. sometimes yeah, some, are, some yeah. are yeah i mean humans are complex creatures um i just feel like it it can happen and i think some people are just maybe not ready for that kind of dynamic in their relationship it's some people are willing to be happy too and others are just not and, you know, continuously in some people's lives, they just keep going through this loop. And um, I've learned as a friend and as a family member and to just, you know, you give them support, but I can't change that in, in anyone. Thankfully, in our dynamics, we're both pretty self-developed and, and stable within ourselves. Yeah. So we can give that more freely, but I know plenty of people who that who struggle with that quite a bit. Yeah. And when Dave spoke to that so beautifully too, that really where the, where, where the functionality comes from is in two very solid individuals who are coming together with total trust. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I actually may be remembering this incorrectly, but I've always, all the couples that I've known who have open relationships, to put a simple term on it, have had the rule that you can't fall in love. Like, okay, everything's all good, but it's, if you're gonna fall in love, yeah, it's just, you gotta stop if you're feeling the love thing. And that to me has always been the piece where I'm like, but you can't make that rule. I mean, that just doesn't work. And that's where, for my parents, you know, it, and it's not that you can't love, and these, let's be clear, you can love people, but you can't fall in, like you can't have the coup de foudre, you can't have the thing that is the, that exists between the two and leaves the other out to a certain extent. And, but what I'm interested in is can that, can you fall in love with someone else, but have it be additive, even if the other person isn't in that dynamic? I want to address the idea of falling. We have a, a romantic idea that we fall in love and it implies falling off one center and landing heavy on the other. Um, and I'm interested in what made our love work was she remained on her orbit and I remained on my orbit and we, we orbited it in, in a, in a relationship. And we did that dance and it's elliptical, like the way, like imagine if the moon became so amorous around the, the earth that it fell towards it. <laughs> right we'd have storms and tides going nuts and all kinds of things right it's imperative that the moon stay in its orbit stay in its <laughs> orbit but that's the love that's the lots of virtue expressed being oneself in its own orbit staying in the dance 
So if if we get dexterous enough at knowing how to do that dance and someone wants to come into our, or a couple comes into our world, our aim would be to help enable us to do a new, more complex dance with a larger universe that could take on qualities in the midst of the honeymoon period of a deep chemistry dump. But here's the advantage of having gone through a couple of those cycles of chemistry dumps is you no longer become identified with the chemistry dump. You can be objective about it and say, wow, this is hot and it's heavy and it's wow, man. And it's deep. And it's I mean, deep. We've had but that doesn't necessarily have to take us off our orbit any longer or off our center. We can, we can, we can hold with that charge a strong enough nervous system and a strong enough vision of what's possible to say, Hey, how do we titrate this at a rate of, at a pace in a way that we're not falling mm -hmm. and we're not, we're not, you know, getting into a train wreck. But it, and it never feels like, okay, if we're taking this, Analogy. I would of say these never is never is a word I wouldn't use. All every and never they don't work. Okay, so <laughs> in your experience and in your aspiration for the yeah. future, in your lived experience and your aspiration for the future, it's never felt like here you are, these orbiting bodies, these celestial bodies doing the dance, and I can I get the metaphor. You're all heavenly bodies circling around, but. There's never the feeling of like, okay, here you are, you know, Aaron's the sun and, you know, we're circling or so, the moon. And then, and then she just is circling around another one. So you're just off an asteroid, a dead <laughs> asteroid off to the sun. That's never happened, no. And recently, in the last two years, there was a, a, a situation in a dynamic with an, uh, an older gentleman than, than myself and a, and a dear friend of ours. Um, who became a lover, who we actually began to, over six months, began to paint a picture where we potentially might become a triad, you know, and and might integrate the, you know, their love that was happening was something that I, I felt the whole was being enriched by. The communication was, 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 was profound, both somatically and physically. And, and I was, I could have room for what was happening for them I didn't feel threatened by it. I felt respected. I felt appreciated. And, you know, and um, it didn't end up playing itself out and not because it, and it just sort of just, it just migrated very it had its, gently. It and had its time. Had its time. Yeah. But we did entertain mm -hmm. the possibility. Like that's how far it, it has is come that, that it wasn't, it was, it, it was lovely conversations at late night in bed with ourselves by ourselves you know like how how would we integrate this how would we uh -huh. make this happen like where would it be what would we like what would it look like and and like yeah i'm kind of open to that you know like i could see that you know and um there's enough throupling. huh throupling you know there was there was enough <laughs> richness that like yeah and 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 then even incorporating our daughter and like thing you know wow like like what a what an amazing like it takes a village, you know, and like, here's the beginning of what could be integrated. And you could see once you do that, that there would possibly be a larger community even supporting that, playing roles around that. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but... but No, it, we it, don't put a limit to love. There is no yeah. love love limit. Rule. Well, right. also at the beginning of our relationship too, because it was so uncertain at the... You know, Dave was actually really apprehensive to, to date me because of my age. He sort of patted me on the back and said, I don't really want to go through another Saturn return. I'm like, what's that? It'll never happen to me. And uh, anyway, we really just lived love and we actually never said we loved each other. Uh, until we spontaneously got married. And it wasn't a thing that we said, we're not going to say those words, but 
we just sort of didn't say him. We, he was careful about his mantra. <laughs> and uh, and then eventually, like when, when we did get married, it was sort of laughable, like, oh, I love you. <laughs> and we said it. It was laughable. It was laughable. It was beautiful. But, but the love <laughs> right. thing is funny because we actually didn't say that until the day we got married. Um, but we lived it and we knew it. And it was this ever-changing thing. And also getting old doesn't mean that that dies. I've been with older people, men and women, who are incredibly juicy and on fire. Really. Like, they give me hope. And and I think we should, you know, it, it helps change that cultural projection about what aging is. And I think you could go all the way to the end and have that fire in you. But you might, and you might not, which is one of the things, and you might, yeah. but, but I, mean, I think one of the sure. things that's really important sure. to talk about in like sexuality and aging is that some people stay really juicy and into it yeah. and some people don't, and, yeah. but not in a negative way. It's just, you move on to a sage phase of life and you're, or, you're, you're, you've lost some of that carnality. And or getting I think, it in different ways, like you, you were saying. And you uh, get it in different ways. You just, you move to a different stage. And one of the very cool things about your dynamic is that it feels that you will be able to navigate that artfully and it will just be, it will be a cycle and you'll honor each other. And maybe it, maybe it will phase together. Maybe it will phase up maybe it won't at all, but that that's not scary. And to take away that, that lingering uh, fear or just question mark out there is, is really, that's quite empowering. I will address fear for a moment and, um, and scary. Uh, in my personal past and history, I was a professional surfer um, most of my life. And I, the, the editor of Surfer in the mid 80s came down to the edge of the pipeline on about a 12 to 15 foot day. And it was a, a real testing kind of, you know, a testing watershed day in a, in a, in a young man's career. You know, at the time, it was a fairly male dominated sport. And, and he, he, the interview was on fear. And it was like, uh, the, the idea was, you know, like, how do you, how do you transcend fear? And I looked at him and I was like, if I'm not scared right now, if I'm, I'm dangerous. Okay. Like fear is something I want to have a, a really healthy relationship with right now. I want it to, to be present to it. I don't want to deny it. I want it to fuel my and, and heighten my senses. So my sensory acuity is such that I have the ability to go out there and survive it and maybe even do something elegant. So I don't want to go into a situation that's not scary. I just want to have a healthy relationship with the scary so that I can go, wow, this is scary. Cool. What's scary? Oh, it's that that's the thing that's scary. Oh, neat. I, 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 let me have a relationship with that. This was the real scary stuff. Being accountable on a moment-to-moment -moment committed relationship. Free soloing with Aaron. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because I look at, you know, other lovers too. Like, you know, they'll look at me occasionally and they'll go like, man, you got it so good, so lucky. And I'm like, go for it. <laughs> you know, like, hey, have at it. See how long you last, you know? That's like nothing less than marrow, you know? So, because it, it's it's like, you know, like I, I came to this, like this dynamic, you know, was sitting on top of like challenging myself and, you know, free soloing, right? Mm. So it, it, but that's the degree, like that is the degree to which I feel like that, that sexuality also is sitting on top of intimacy and sitting on top of trust, 
sitting on top of who am I? So the last thing I just want to touch upon, and I feel like it's largely been addressed in our conversation, but it's very much a part of what Jeff and I have talked about, and I think when we were in front of the fire last night, he brought it up too, is this a piece of time, like time and energy spent on the thing. And it's, um, it's so... Uh, it's so time-consuming to be vital and honest and open and creative in our sexuality, in our, I mean, relationships take a ton of time anyway, but then to open the aperture of what your relationship is going to be up to a creative and changeable way of operating, it's just a time commitment. And one has to decide whether you're going to, you know, be willing to put your time there instead of somewhere else. And it's so interesting to me, Aaron, to hear you say today that when you guys started out, it, it was very much like, we're going to keep this playful. This is recreational. This is sexy and it's hot. It's additive to our relationship, but I don't want to have to spend the time on uh, someone else's psychodynamics and the emotional output that it would take to really be in rela- really in relationship with multiple partners which totally makes sense to me. I mean, to just have a hot night is doesn't take that much time. That's just a hot night. But to like really go down a road of, of authentic exploration with multiple bringing people in um, is, is a whole different time commitment. And so part of Jeff and my, our narrative and, you know, relationships are largely just built on narratives you build together and you reinforce and you kind of decide your on this one and you think it's a good one and it hasn't been disproved otherwise. So you just forge on and, and our narrative largely really does work and and our, the solidity and the, and the, you know, the, the, the superstructure that we've created together does give us a ton of, um, of freedom and, and space and time to do other things. Cause we are both so fucking busy. I think there's just a piece of it. That's like, we could totally see doing that. And it does look, creative and and um, expansive and it's not that it doesn't seem possible it just seems like a big daunting time suck it seems daunting so we just so we, we just put it aside like lots of like we could also go travel like to a million places we'd love to go I mean it's very much like I would love to go to the Himalayas and to Bali. I mean, there's so many places, and we just decide not, we don't buy that plane ticket. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that's a big piece of it, but I also, in, in really in hearing your guys' story and, and you know seeing your vitality as individuals and as a relationship and as parents, it's, it, I really see the creativity of that. And it's very cool. I mean, it's, it's really, truly inspirational. And I can't yes. say that I'm necessarily going to, I don't know that we're going to go swing later today. But if I was going to swing with anybody, I'd be happy to. Yeah. I, I just want to also add to that too with the time, because um, I would think about it as part-time as far as the relating sexually, right? Um, And actually many, at this point in our lives, many of these lovers and slash friends are actually just friends. So they have children too, most of them. And we have dinners together, we go to the beach, we hang out. And when we're hanging out, and it's not sexy. We're just buddies. And it's right. kind of cute because, you know, there's like that inner like, hee um, <laughs> But it, it could be like every other month or it, it's real 
really part-time and, and so many of them we've known for so many years now that there's just that long withstanding trust and relationship. But um, I would say that now we really don't put a whole lot of time into it. Probably, I don't know if it's because it's already established, but um, it's very integrated now in an easy way. It's an interesting tell when somebody says, oh, it's easier if I don't know them. I don't have a social thing. It's like kind of like, hey, it's a one-off thing. And, um, and, and, and I, I don't disagree with that. Um, uh, but I, there's something really special about like, if you're going to be intimate with people, like maybe be intimate with the people that are closest to you and that you really dig, you know, as people right. and as lives. Neat. I like it. Yeah. You know, we, I would say that all of us in our, anyone who's doing work on themselves has gotten to a place where they feel like that it feels obvious in a cellular way that there's no limit to love. That there's always more love. You, you can always love. You have your you have children, and you realize there's just more love. Like you could have twelve of them. You can fucking love all of them differently, but there's just no there's no end of that. And but I would say that many most of us who have gotten to that point are still stuck on. There is an end, there's a finite amount of passion and that we're scared of letting the passion genie out. And I, and you guys are clearly living that there's not. That it's that renewable. Just, it's a renewable, it's a renewable resource. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's going to fuel the 21st century. And it's really but, inspirational to yeah. see that, like that, to take away that, arbitrary border between love and passion or physical love, like the physical, uh, the physical manifestation of love, which you could say sexuality is, or sexuality can be, and that to then make that too, re like renewable, which is, which so, is very cool. And I'm, 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 I would say never confuse normal with, you know, average with normal, right? We've gotten a distorted view there. And I think this is a reclamation and uh, of, of we're living in a time when we're 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 our, where we're able to start to reclaim our relationship to these renewable energy sources, and and uh, and they could be doorways into our being able to to have a relationship to them that can see. Now we can have the engrams to look out and realize what regenerative ag has to offer, or solar power, or these things, because we realize we're in relationship to something. It is not necessarily, uh, it, it may have a finiteness somewhere in a very large uh, aperture, but in the aperture that we've been playing at, probably, uh, you know, we, we probably would be in a different place if more people realized that there was, that that wasn't a finite resource to, we're, we're modeling something perhaps that's, that's not the most healthy and sustainable for us. Right. Well, you, you just totally got me on the environmental <laughs> the environmental inspiration and you you know how to play me dave so. <laughs> i'll see you later <laughs> are you okay with that <laughs>
blushing and yeah I, it was actually long we talked for far long I was trying to be efficient that completely didn't happen but it was really interesting I mean you know well I can talk about sex for for a long time and maybe that's the way that we've maintained our monogamous relationship for so very long because I can just you know get 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 off on other people's um exciting sex lives so well in the on the off chance that we don't have to do that vicariously, um, <laughs> I wonder if your approach to monogamy has, has changed. changed at all, or just even softened, so to speak. Um, or hardened, uh, so to speak. Um, well, I will say that they are truly inspirational from a, um, as a couple. I mean, they're amazing. And it, I, you know, as you know, of we've shared our 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 basic cynicism about how exhausting and difficult and time consuming po- polygamy would be or polyandry would be and um that came up a, a fair amount in our in our talk and um it was really interesting to hear their take on that particular issue which was basically that they had that concern or Aaron spoke to having that concern as well and that it was one of the reasons she didn't wasn't interested in forming more substantial triangles or you know quadrangles, um, octagons because it would be too disruptive and take too much time. And so first they they entered into only like very fun you know play party partnerships. Um, but it it was also interesting because after after we stopped um our conversation and we were just you know having the the conversation right outside which is i think sometimes where some of the most interesting interview happens um dk said you know part of our project together in in life has been maybe this was aaron but that we you know they work really hard and they have all kinds of creative things that they're doing but they also have a lot more time and that they um that this is one of the things that that's part of their creative life and that they put up they do put a fair amount of time into and they're they really are very authentically pushing the parameters of the of our paradigms and mm-hmm. we got into it a bit at the end of our at the very end of the podcast where um you know DK beautifully talks about um how when we reshape the way that we structure our, our primary relationships, we're also restructuring the way that we interface with the world, mm-hmm. ecologically, psychologically, spiritually. And and talking to them, I buy that. I mean, I really do. Like, I believe that if you are going to break through paradigms that limit us in the, one of the most essential ways that we are human in our sexuality, it's it's in, inevitably going to infuse the way you you are in the world. And you could also, we didn't get into this, but you could also have a very loose, open sexual relationship, and that could all only reinforce the things that hold you back. I mean, you yeah. could you could have sexual partnerships outside of marriage that are just that are also very patriarchal or are dominating in a way that is not positive, that's not, you know, human positive or sex positive. But what they are doing is actually, appears to be very um, 
progressive and not just boundary breaking. And that's what I really came to talking to them is that like anything else, you can break through um, dogma or like social boundaries that we have and just continue to perpetuate all of the shit that we have made of our, of our relationships and our world, or you can actually be part of a creative process of reinventing the self and the self is expressed through, through partnership. And they're definitely doing it. I mean, you know, thank God we're in a, a global pandemic and the last thing one's doing right now is swinging. But if, if, if we weren't staying in our close little COVID bubble, we might have to we might have to go out to a to a party. <laughs> Can I still do the podcast? Will I have enough time to still do the podcast? I hope so. <laughs> um, I think the last piece for me is that, and this has tended to be a very kind of male point of view, which is that there, um, that the conflation of true love and sex is kind of specious. That you know that. And you hear this from men mostly, or, or stereotypically from men, of that, like, oh, I can just go have sex, and it's casual, and I don't have any emotion wrapped up into that, and I'm back in my nuclear family, just raking the leaves and with the, you know, doing my chores and being the guy, and you know, and right, and being still, and still, and still wanting to have sex with yeah, your wife, yeah, and, and being completely inflected in love with my wife. Mm-hmm and nobody else. Um, and I wonder, and I think a lot of what keeps us back from additional sexual partners is fear is, um, well, if I did that, oh my God, there would be all of these repercussions and my family might disintegrate and my wife might leave me and she won't love me anymore. And that, you know, basically, so all that stuff becomes off limits mostly because, of a consequentialist kind of fear. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if there was anything in your conversation with, with them that, um, transmuted that. that. That's a good question. And I, I have often, um, held the theory that women fall, like women usually not usually, women far more often fall in love through sex. That sex leads to emotional attachment quicker and harder than it does for men. And I think that that's true. And I think that is from what I um, understand from the things I've read, it's, it is, it's not imperative, but it is more bio, we're more biologically wired to form deeper attachments. And I, and it certainly has borne out anecdotally in um, the, in the relationships that I've, the extramarital affairs that I've seen both allowed and not allowed, um, that women often, not always, but sometimes create disruptive attachments that then break the commitment tie. What we did talk about is the trust piece. And of course, that's, that's the heart of it. I mean, they have, a, they have an agreement that does have very strong trust um, infrastructure and they are not violating each other's trust. So what, what, it, what I came away with really is just that. I mean, they do have a long-term partnership, as we do, and 
they there are trust things and Aaron's had it's really it appears mostly that it's Aaron who has to like dial herself back in where she's going to go and I think probably that's on the intuition that DK would have that she would then be like I'm actually my heart's really going to go over here or could and this could become a thing that would um, that would disturb the the basis of trust, and, and to what I what I really got from them is that that's that's what you're setting, and you're always we're always you know any partnership always has a degree of fragility, which is one of the things that make it precious, is that you everyone's together in this endeavor that is it is fragile, but they and that they have a they have like a very evolved communication around how they navigate that trust and they've set it at a different, they set it at five instead of at nine where we sit or whatever. DEFCON five. Mutually assured destruction. Right. I'm going to go have sex. You're going to have sex. The whole thing's going <laughs> to fucking blow up. No. Yeah, no, they're, they're way more NATO. They're way, way more UN. Um, well, I, uh, I'm glad you did the interview and, um, I am too. It was very, uh, it was very illuminating. Okay. And uh, maybe we should, well, maybe you should do a, a 26 year um, podcast and just see if anything changes. Yeah. Well, I guarantee the 50 year podcast, <laughs> there's not going to be even the remotest. <laughs> we won't even be talking about it. <laughs> um, we'll be lucky to have sex once a year at that point. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening to the commune podcast as always. Feel free to email me with your thoughts about this particular issue or others at jeffk at onecommune.com. I read everyone and I try to respond to every single one eventually. My name is Jeff Krasno. My name is Skylar Grant. And we are here for you and each other. <laughs>